Well, good morning. Let me add to my welcome to the ones that you've uh, received already. And let me again say, uh, if you're new with us today, um, we're in a, a fairly unique part of the Bible, um, part of the Bible that's called apocalyptic literature, which is literature that is full of imagery, uh, which can be quite hard to understand. Um, but as we go through, well, hopefully we'll see that though it has uh, hardships, it's actually also wonderful in communicating um, God's truth to us. Uh, let me pray, though, as we do start, for God's help. Our Father God, we uh, ask again that as we come to, to your words, this, this wonderful vision, uh, but complicated, hard, things that it contains, please would you help us to understand, to grasp what's being said here. And Father, please would uh, that impact our lives, our hearts, our thinking, and bring real change through us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Uh, I was walking around the uh, duck pond up at I think, Green Hill Park, is it, a little while ago. Um, and as I was walking around, there were two children hiding behind a tree. And a third child was kind of walking along from the other side, kind of looking, not distressed, but a bit like, where are you, kind of, oh, that kind of thing. And so me, kind of being, I don't know, right or wrong or what it was, but I said, they're behind the tree. <laughs> And so this child kind of, like, eyes lit up. Smart child that he was, carried on walking, walked around the other side of the tree, and boom! Perfect. As the saying goes, forewarned is forearmed. If we know what is coming, particularly if it's not pleasant, then that can be a huge help. We can be prepared for it. We can be ready, we can steal ourselves, we can plan, we can act accordingly. And that is what is going on in these latter chapters of Daniel. We are being forewarned. We are being told of what is to come. God is, yes, assuring his people that the end is going to be fine. It is all going to be okay in the end. But he is warning us that that end might be some time away. And that in that time, it is going to be hard and difficult, particularly for his people. In Daniel chapter 8, we are being forewarned so that we can be forearmed. And that, again, actually does help us uh, when we think about trying to understand all these bits of imagery as we go through. You see, God has given this vision in order to comfort and encourage uh, the people of Daniel's day, and the first readers, and indeed ourselves. He is not writing it so that Christians a few thousand years later could get their calculators out, get their wall charts up, and kind of plot out when all these things and who that refers to and when's Jesus going to come back. That wasn't the purpose why God sent this vision. It was to encourage his people then and indeed now. Stephen Hawkins, he wrote that, uh, that book called A Brief History of Time. I don't know if anyone's read it. I know someone has. Well, Daniel 8 is a much bigger and broader history of time. It is giving us a snapshot of time. Time past, but also time yet to come. And the first thing we see is, we can see on the uh, sheets and, and up on the screen there, is that evil will have its time. Evil will have its time. So this vision comes two years after the one that we looked at last, uh, last week. It came in the third year of King Belshazzar's reign. 
and in it, Daniel sees himself in Susa, the, uh, the capital or key city of Persia. And this time he sees not beasts, but animals. Uh, but equally, they're not quite normal either. So verse 4, we start there, and it, it does paint, a, again, a slightly scary... Uh, sorry, verse 3, it does um, paint a rather scary little picture. So verse 3, I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram... Stand as a male uh, sheep, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns. Both horns were high, but one was higher than the other and came up last. And I saw the ram charging westwards and northwards and southwards. No beast could stand before him. And there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and he became great. Now, we know from, from last week, and indeed we'll see the explanation today, that these animals picturing kingdoms. This is a scary picture of this sheep or this, this ram, this kingdom, rampaging destruction, smashing its way wherever it wants to. North, south, east, west, nothing can stand before it. No one can rescue from its fearsome minds. It did what it wanted, and it became great. Great's not in terms of good, but great in terms of its power and control. Here is a kingdom that does what it wants, when it wants, and however it wants. Just like last week, as I said, Daniel asks for an interpretation, and it is given. He's, this, this vision is explained to him. But, but unlike last week, this time we are specifically told which kingdom this is referring to. So just glance over to verse 20. This is the angelic explanation to Daniel. And it says, As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. Do you remember again how, how that one horn was bigger and that bigger one came up afterwards? Well, so the, the kingdoms of the Media and the Persians, the Media was around beforehand, but the Persians kind of took them over uh, and became much more kind of powerful in that. And so the, the ram that we saw there is the kingdoms, the kings of the Medes and the Persians. And that means, verse 4, that description of its destruction and rampaging and all that covers almost 200 years. 200 years of this king doing whatever it wants, whenever it wants, however it wants. Evil will have its time. And that time sometimes will be a long time. But as great as it is, this particular evil's time did come to an end. So verse 5. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between its eyes. He came to the ram with, his, with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. So here we have this, this goat, kind of a goat, kind of unicorn, kind of like horn, going so fast it's kind of barely even touching the ground and smashes the ram to pieces. No one could save the ram from it. And this conquering great goat 
becomes great again, at least for a time. So verse 8, then the goat became exceedingly great. But when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns from the four winds of heaven. And again, when we look to the interpretation, we're told who this represents. Verse 21, jumping back. And the goat said to the king, uh, sorry, goat didn't say anything to the king, no. And the goat is, sorry, and the goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king. Now again, looking back as we are now, we know how this was fulfilled. Alexander the Great, sweeping across the known world, conquering all all in its path at remarkable speeds, and did indeed become great. He's known as Alexander the Great. But his time was short. He died just aged 32. Imagine conquering the world by 32, but he was dead by 32. And his kingdom divided into four. So we get these, these, these two animals, and again, it's a scary picture. These kings' kingdoms conquering, warring, doing whatever it wants, making a name for themselves. But things are going to get even worse. Because out of this Greek kingdom comes a ruler who will not just do whatever he wants, but actually he's going to direct that evil to God's people. And indeed, set himself up against God himself. So verse 11. It, um, uh, this is referring to uh, one of these, kind of one of these um, four horns that has come up. Uh, verse 11. It will become great, even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it, together with the regular burnt offering, because of transgression. And it it will throw um, truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Again, the, the details might confuse us a little bit, but what we see, the impression, I think, is clear, that this horn is setting itself up, stopping God's people doing the sacrifices that it wanted, indeed having these sacrifices kind of to itself, trampling truth to the ground. And again, it's explained for us, explained for us in verse 23. And at the latter end of their kingdom, that's the Greek kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limits, a king of bold countenance who understands riddles shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power, and he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and people who are the the saints. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hands, and in his own mind, he will become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken, but by no human hand. Again, looking back, most likely, this is speaking of a, a king called Antiochus IV Epiphanes, which is a cool name, but he was a truly, truly wicked leader. He caused incredible pain and trouble for God's people. He, he made the temple, God's temple, a temple to Zeus, the Greek god. And that temple was filled with all kinds of debauchery, revelry, prostitution, all of that in God's precious temple. And offerings were made in that temple to these pagan gods. 
God's people were stopped from making their sacrifices to the Lord. They weren't allowed to keep their Sabbaths or their own festivals. They were forced, on threat of death, to take part in pagan rituals. They, in fact, couldn't even call themselves Jews, and they faced death if they didn't accept and adopt Greek customs. Can you imagine that as one of God's people, living through that? Imagine that. No, no church services Sunday morning, no vineyard Wednesday nights, no women's book group, no little lions, no prayer trip that's getting together. That would be too risky. In fact, you call yourself a Christian, you're in real, real trouble. Found to have a Bible on you, could face confiscation of property, imprisonment, possibly death. Imagine that. We imagine it. There are some Christians in our world today for whom that is a reality. That was a reality for God's people back then, and for some indeed today. God wants Daniel and his people to know that evil will have its time. People will take their stand against God. They will do great harm to his people. God is warning Daniel and his people and the people who were going to come after him and live in this specific time. And yes, this was, this vision concerned these few hundred years of the Medes and the Persians and the Greeks. But this is the pattern of history. Whether it's Belshazzar, Alexander the Great, Antiochus, Nero, Hitler, Kim Jong-un, Putin, or any numerous other leaders around our world today, be it overall rulers or even under them, evil will have its time. We are forewarned, though, and forewarned is forearmed. We can be prepared. In April uh, 1942, 16 US uh, B-25 bombers uh, raided Tokyo. And, and actually, this raid did very, very little damage um, to Tokyo. But the people panicked because the Japanese propaganda had assured them that uh, US bombs would never be dropped on Tokyo. And so when it happens, they, they panicked. God is not like Japanese propaganda, if we can put it that way. He warns his people what things are going to be like. And that warning, knowing what is going to come, gives us confidence. As Mark alluded to in his introduction, you know, do you, do you tend to lose confidence when you don't understand why something's happening? Many of us do. And yet, knowing that it's coming here prepares us for that. And yes, we're not yet home. We're not yet uh, in our home in heaven. Jesus has not yet come back. And so perseverance is needed, even when it gets tough for his people. But what will help us? What will help us keep going in the time when evil is having its day? Here's our our second, uh, second point, please. God has not lost control. You see, these great kings, these nations, they are impressive and fearsome in their power. But God has not lost control. We have to keep hold of this point. The presence of evil does not mean the absence of God. 
right through this chapter, although God isn't expressly mentioned as, as doing anything, yet his sense of control is actually everywhere. Let's just simply start with the fact that this vision was given to Daniel and his people hundreds of years before it came to be. God knew that this was all going to happen. This is all under his hand. This is all under his control, his ultimate control. And indeed, we, we, we look back in our history books, we can see how incredibly accurate so much of this was. Secondly, just, just note the ending of this wicked king. We'll come back to this more in our final point. But you see in verse 25, um, right up there at the end, um, and he shall be broken but by no human hand. God will bring this evil wickedness to an end. There will come a time when God says, enough is enough. God might be absent mostly in name, but he is definitely not absent in action. And thirdly, God's control, even over evil, is a truth that actually we simply must believe as Christians because it is central to the events which won our salvation. It's the story of the cross. The story of the cross where evil rebellion rose up against Jesus. They falsely accused him, they beat him, and they nailed him to a cross. And in fact, Jesus himself, as he put it, this is the hour when evil reigns. Yet, was God out of control? Not at all. Not at all. God was taking what people intended for harm for wickedness, and he used it for good, the ultimate good. And therefore, it must still be true today that in all this evil and rebellion that we see and we encounter, God is still in control. God has not lost it. There is one who sits over it, above it, and is more powerful, powerful than it. And so in this time when evil has its day, we take heart, knowing that God has not lost control. And then finally, we know this, our final points. God will have the final say. God will have the final say. We see it so conclusively, don't we, in that God bringing these, these kingdoms to an end, specifically there in verse 25, that, um, uh, that, that it was broken by no human hand. What I think is interesting through this chapter um, and I, I can reference in my talk on, for Vineyard on Wednesday, is it's interesting the why question is never asked. We don't see kind of, why is this happening, Lord? Why, why are you allowing this evil for this time? Rather, in line with the psalmist, the, the question that is asked here is, how long? How long? And actually, this question is asked by an angel in verse 13. And then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, for how long is this vision concerning the regular burnt offering and the transgression that makes desolate and the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot? The answer, and he said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. Numbers are something that people get very excited about in apocalyptic literature. Uh, and generally, there are two kind of main understandings for this. So uh, the evenings and mornings could be 2,300 days, evenings and mornings, um, which would make it roughly six years, four months, something like that. 
Um, for other people, they kind of take that, well, it's evenings and mornings, and so you kind of half the number, so you end up with like 1,300 days, uh, and then um, that's like three years, two months, and people try and kind of cram these dates into what they saw with Antiochus, neither quite fit. Um, you can kind of probably get away with it if you need to. But, but I think the important point, uh, you get, get distracted by trying to work that out, the, the important point is that the days are numbered. It will come to an end. 2,300 days, whether it's days or evenings or mornings, or, it will come to an end. God will have the final say. There is an end, a set time, when God will stop it. In verses 17 to 19, we repeatedly find this little phrase, the end. We're told Daniel, that's um, where Daniel is told this is concerning things of the end. In the Bible, the end sometimes is speaking of the end of time, the time when Jesus will return and, and uh, ultimately judge evil and all these things. But that's not always the case. And indeed here, often it is used uh, to refer to the a specific end, the end of something. And here in Daniel 8, the end that is being spoken of is the end of this wicked ruler, this, king's, uh, this king, wicked king. And so as we looked at before, verse 25, there is that time when that king will be broken. In verse 14, uh, we see that uh, at the end of it, the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. Evil will have its time, will have its day, and it will be a long day at times. But God will have the final say. Days of evil are numbered. That's what God wants us to know. He wants us to know the history um, of our, our world and that evil will ultimately come to an end. And this is great. This is good news. Yeah, so, so particularly for thinking of Christians who, who are experiencing this kind of hostility and persecution openly in a way far more strongly than, than, than we do. It is good news that this, to know that this evil will come to an end. Whether it's a, a king, ruler, empire coming to an end and moving on to the next one, or whether it's looking ahead to Jesus' return. But there is also here a warning for us. Could I have the, the next slide up, please? So, so here this acts as um, both kind of positively, as it were, um, good news, but it is also, also the warning for us. Um, writing here, it says, because he has fixed a day, I can't see it, sorry. Let me look, let me look it up. Put my phone there. verse 17. Thank you. Should know. Thank you. <laughs> you can all read it, I can't. Um, anyway, but because he has fixed a day, this is God, but he has, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance by raising him from the dead. So this day is fixed when this will come to an end, and that will be this judgment. But the warning for us is, is that evil isn't simply out there. Evil is in here. All of us are guilty of setting ourselves up against God, wanting to make ourselves great, wanting to 
have our way, doing what we want, when we want it, and how we want it. That's the pattern of all humanity. And if you are part of that rebellion still, still living for yourself in that way, still taking your stand against God and his son, the Lord Jesus, the prince of princes, well then naturally this is, in a sense, not good news. And it's why Jesus calls, his peop- calls everyone to repent and believe, to come to him and trust him. Because not only is there a time in the future when wickedness will be judged, there is also a time in the past when wickedness was judged. Because as Jesus hung on that cross, wickedness was being judged. The thing was, he bore the punishment in the place of his people. That evil has already been judged for those who are trusting in him. And so again today, come to him, repent and believe, and look forward to life, not judgment. So here it is, a brief history of time. Evil will have its day, but God has not lost control and God will have the final say. It's what God wanted Daniel to know. He wanted God's people in Babylon to know what God wanted those first readers of this book back at home in in Jerusalem, but still under these powers. It's what what God wanted his people to know who are coming up into this Greek empire and going to face these things. And it's what he wants us in London here now to know as we wait for the Lord Jesus to return. Evil will have his day, its day, but God will have the final say. And he is in control even right now. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your kindness to to your people. Thank you for uh, warning us in advance of how things will be like so that we can be prepared for it. Our eyes are again... uh, Our thoughts of you are blown so much bigger as we see actually you're in control even over evil now. Father, please would we trust you. Please would we keep going through those hardships, looking to you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.